Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Very Worst Seminarian podcast. My name is Michaelin, and I just wanted to wish everybody happy holidays. You know, I know we're moving into that season. Christmas is about 10 days away, so I hope that everybody who is listening either on Spotify or on Apple has had a chance to really breathe and take some time to rest because it is so important to take care of ourselves during the stressful holiday season. So today we have Stephanie Jones Heath and she is one of my mom's closest friends, um, as well as she's somebody that I've worked with for the COVID-19 vaccine initiative for the Georgia Interfaith Public Policy Center. And she's been so very helpful in helping me frame what it means to be a public theologian, working um, with communities of people um, who really depend on public theology to help center um, the way that we view the works of Christ. And so, Stephanie, if you would like to introduce yourself and what you do, and maybe even talk a little bit about how you got to diversity and what diversity is so our uh, listeners can kind of get a better understanding of what it is you do in our community. All right. Thank you, McKaylin. First of all, thank you for having me on the show. I appreciate you inviting me um, here. But like you said, I'm Stephanie Jones Heath, and I'm the Chief Executive Officer for the Diversity Health Center. We have three locations in Liberty, Long, and Wayne County. Um, I came to diversity about six years ago um, from Florida as the Operations Officer for Florida. Um, I was there approximately 10 years working in the federally qualified health center arena, which is what diversity health center is. Uh, Most people don't know about federally qualified health centers. They are all over the United States. They're not just unique to Georgia or to Hinesville. Most counties have a federally qualified health center, but they are all privately owned organizations that are federally funded through grants that are given through the federal government. And so our primary goal is to provide health care to the uninsured and underinsured residents that reside within our um, service area. And as I said, I've been with Diversity Health Center for six years in the Hinesville area, providing health care to our community and bringing services to our community. And our primary mission is to provide health care services regardless of your ability to pay. So what that means that we see patients on a sliding fee scale based on their income and the size of their household. And regardless of whether you have that sliding fee that you are um, given, you are still seen by a qualified licensed healthcare provider to serve as your medical home. Wow, so I did not know all of that about diversity. I also didn't know that you came here from Florida. That's really interesting. And you, so you worked, was it another branch of diversity or was it um, a different um, federal qualified healthcare center? 
It was a different federally qualified health centers. Each federally qualified health center is privately owned and they're individualized to that community. So as you see the federally qualified health centers all over the United States, they're all individually owned. They're all individually managed by a volunteer board of directors. And the guidelines are the same because in order to receive the federal funding, they have to follow certain guidelines that are mandated by the federal government, but they're all privately owned, not-for-profit organizations. Okay, that, that definitely makes a lot of sense. And it's really interesting to know a little bit a bit a little bit more about that specifically because I, I feel like, especially within the age of COVID, um, we see a lot of people who aren't able to afford their um, medical bills. And yes. so maybe you can speak on your experience working now in the age of COVID, um, in the age where there are a lot of people who've lost their homes, who've lost their livelihoods, and kind of what that's looked at, what, how you've seen maybe um, an increase in the need of services like and healthcare centers like diversity? Well, yeah, the, the need has definitely increased um, during COVID and um, and it's always we've always served as that umbrella for those people that didn't have insurance. And one of the challenges that we faced, <clears throat> excuse me, one of the challenges that we faced is most people don't know about federally qualified health centers and exactly how they work and how they benefit from utilizing them in their community. And one of the myths is about um, federally qualified health centers is that they get, most people think of it as a free clinic, that they're not getting um, um, the same quality of services that they would get from a private um, practice. But I try to explain to people that with a federally qualified health centers, all of our providers, all of our staff, they are certified staff. They have to have license just like you went to a private doctor's office. And they are all credentialed through the state just like a private doctor's office. So when COVID hit, of course, we were on the front lines with the federal government because we already had the infrastructure in place. We already had the model in place. And we already had a lot of the mandate in place. So when COVID hit, because of the way we're already structured, we were the first in line along with the health department to work with the federal um, government in order to deploy the vaccine, in order to go in those underserved communities that most people don't know about. We already had those relationships with those communities. So we were able to get out in the community, reach, do outreach in the community to those underserved populations that were not being able or had access to the vaccine or had access to testing or the educational materials that they needed. So of course that created this influx in um, services that we had to be able to provide. And the government, <clears throat> excuse me, the government, of course, with some of the funding that came out immediately provide that supported funding that we needed in order to go out in those communities and provide the services. Mm. So our, our numbers, of course, dramatically increased in services during COVID because a lot of the private practices closed during that time frame, and most FQHCs stayed open during the entire time of COVID and still are operating at full capacity. 
Wow. And so I imagine that has probably been a little bit of a strain on also the people who are working in these healthcare centers as well. Um, so maybe you can speak a little bit about what that strain has looked like um, for diversity in Liberty Long and Wayne, even though we're a small town, I know that, I know it was a couple months ago, it seemed that there was a spike in COVID cases in Liberty County. Um, mm -hmm. And maybe talk about how, or even if you know, maybe even why that seemed to have happened, even though Liberty County and Long and even Wayne had seemed to be staying pretty low when it came to the COVID case count. Um, for some reason, there seemed to be a spike and maybe you can speak on that and then possibly speak on how COVID has affected the strain on people working in the facilities, including yourself. Well, I think one of the things I, I think with the media, a lot of the stuff that you saw when COVID first came out, you saw the hospital and the real strain that COVID was putting on the hospital sector because a lot of the people were going into the hospital. But mm -hmm. when it came to the federally qualified health centers, like I said, we were one of the only outpatient settings in a lot of the communities that stayed open during COVID, where patients could physically come into the clinic to get testing, physically still come into the clinic to be seen and get their medications beyond just having COVID or those patients that weren't sick enough to go to the hospital or afraid to go to the hospital for whatever reason. The FQHCs took on the bulk of a lot of those um, patients because they only knew about the FQHCs and this was their only gateway outside of the emergency room to get care. So uh, um, for that po particular population, for our group of workers, we kind of got, you know, left out of that batch of the stress and really mm -hmm. understanding the amount of stress that the FQHCs were undertaking because a lot of the FQHCs, um, they lost employees during COVID. Their employees lost family members during COVID. And um, they were really, really impacted. We were really, really impacted um, from COVID within the FQHCs and losing staff and losing family members, people being out working with um, a skeleton staff um, crew during the time. And then still trying to keep our doors open because we knew that if we weren't open then the impact on the hospital would be even greater than what it was. Mm -hmm. And so in smaller communities, you don't have that same amount of resources that you have in larger cities. So when it came to people being out in rural areas, we took our mobile units out into those rural areas to try to connect with those people with doing the testing to educate people because there was a lot of fear around COVID at the time. And, and the information wasn't getting out into those smaller communities the same way they were in larger cities because they, you know, the broadband issue of not having access to the internet. A lot of people didn't have cable. A lot of people still don't have cable and broadband out in those areas. So they really relied on us to come out in those communities to educate, to do the testing, to provide medical care, to provide um, medication to people because they didn't have access to medication. So it really took a toll on a lot of our staff. And so, and it took a toll on me as a leader, trying to make sure that the center remained open, trying to make decisions around, you know, people uh, being out 
and staffing issues and just around people livelihood because we were talking about people these are their jobs this is how they pay their bills so i had to make decisions on whether or not i was going to lay people off whether or not i was going to have to um, close down centers and so it was very very stressful for me as a leader and i remember going through um thinking like okay how am i going to do this how am i going to wake up and make decisions that really impact people life livelihood and how they um, live and how they take care and how they feed their families. But we endured. I woke up every day. I did the best that I could do. I tried to keep the staff engaged and we stayed open the entire time during COVID. We only had to close um, one center down at one point because of um, um, staffing and staff getting COVID. And so it was very stressful. So after um, things slowed down a little bit toward the end of the year. I really looked at my own mental health and how I was protecting myself and getting services for myself. And I talked to the staff about their mental health issues and supplied and, and was able to provide assistance for them. So it's been an ongoing struggle to have, find the balance of trying to provide the services to the community, but also trying to provide and protect the employees that work for us, and also protecting myself with my own mental health. So I've done a lot of training. I've had speakers and different people come in to talk to the staff about mental health. As a matter of fact, we have another session that's set up at the beginning of February for somebody to come in and talk to the staff about their mental health, because you can't be in service to others if you're not in service to yourself. Right, right. I mean, that. That's, that's probably one of the most, I think in, in all sectors of nonprofit work, not just in, in healthcare, but um, when it comes to food pantries, when it comes to places like the Salvation Army, United Way, um, the Mana House even, um, I think that we see, and, and this is something that I've just noticed, especially here in Atlanta, um, because it is such a big city, there is just this drastic rate of burnout in mm -hmm. nonprofit, in the nonprofit sector in, in the world. And I can only imagine that for a nonprofit healthcare provider, that burnout is probably tenfold because of the nature of healthcare and the healthcare oh, yeah. system and just I mean, the amount of stress you guys already are probably already under because of the guidelines you have to keep to keep your federal status. Mm -hmm. I imagine that's Absolutely. stressful. Like, mm -hmm. That's a lot. Yeah. And then I can also imagine that you, know, you are providing for a community that is marginalized, for a community that is yes. suffering already. And then when you add COVID, on top of that and people not wanting to get the vaccine because of the amount of pseudoscience and misinformation that's been spread, I can only, actually, I can't imagine, but mm -hmm. I, 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 I don't know how you guys have maintained and, and did maintain because I remember, um, I think it was the summer of 2020, mass mobile food drop with United Way in Hinesville you guys came out there and were boots on the mm -hmm. ground doing testing during a mass mobile food drop. Mm -hmm. yes. And we know the insanity that that is. So, mm -hmm. 
you guys have been on the front lines, like you said, since since the beginning and didn't shut mm -hmm. down. And I just I want to commend you for the work that you and your team have been doing and continue to do because I I mentally don't think that I could be where you are at and doing the work that you have done. Um, there have been a lot of my own friends who have left their, their nurses or they're working, they were working to become doctors and now they're not because of what they've seen that's happened in the healthcare system because of COVID. Um, oh yes, absolutely. Because that's one of the, <clears throat> the issues that we're facing now is so many people were burned out. So many people left the healthcare um, industry altogether. And then just trying to keep people engaged mm -hmm. because, you know, when you're working in the not-for-profit sector, you can't compete when it comes to the financial salaries you know, that a lot of other places are, are paying now. And now they have all the different incentives and different things that they're giving people in the healthcare sector that as a not-for-profit, you can't compete with all of that. So you're trying to get good workers and you're trying to get people that are genuinely there to, you know, really serve the community and stay engaged with the understanding of all of the underlying issues that come with not just the healthcare piece when you're serving the underserved community, but all of the social issues mm -hmm. that come with that, where people, you know, they, they don't have shelter, they don't have food, they don't have, you know, transportation. So you're providing or assisting with all of those supportive services. So when somebody comes in understanding, they might say they have a headache and at a normal doctor's office, a headache is a headache and you're just trying to find the medical underlining issues that's causing that headache. But when you're dealing with the, at a federally qualified health center, you're not asking the right questions. When a person come in and they say they have a headache, it might mean that they haven't eaten for three days. It might mean that they're living under a bridge and they have no place to shelter. So the headache is not necessarily coming from a medical condition, it's mostly from a social condition but if you don't ask those questions at the right time and in the right moment, you might not get that response to get the total picture of what's going on with that patient when they present to the hospital. So you have to have the right people that are genuinely caring enough to go that extra layer in to try to get to understand why that person is really having that headache beyond something medically wrong with them. And so that that comes from, you know, time and experience. And so when you're having a turnover of staff constantly from people being burned out or people leaving the healthcare industry, then it takes away from the overall objective of what you're trying to do as a federally qualified health center and really understanding the patients when they come into the clinic and the effort and time it takes into training that staff mm -hmm. to know that. To, to dig a little deeper with the patients when they present. And so those are some of the challenges that we're facing now is with the training and to retain and the retention of staff. And then also understanding now what I'm to, having to deal with more as a leader is not just, okay, I got to worry about how to keep the, the building open, how to secure funding, 
But now I have to deal with a lot of social issues with, with the employees themselves and understanding. I think almost at least now, at least two or three times a month, I have to deal with a staff member losing a family member. Mm-hmm. And I never, I mean, that might have been a once a year occurrence um, when I worked in, in this sector. But now at least two or three times a month, I'm dealing with the social impact of my employees losing family members and trying to be supportive of them during this process and trying to understand the psychological impact that they're going through at work with losing family members. So that has definitely been a shift for me as a leader. Mm -hmm. And how do I show up for that person? How do I be supportive of that person as they go through this journey while at the same time trying to maintain services um, that we provide to others that are coming into the center. Wow. That, I definitely feel like the work that you're doing, there are so many more layers to it than somebody who is working in a normal private practice. Um, exactly. And we realize, I mean, working here in, in Atlanta, um, I've really begun to realize that healthcare, especially for underserved and marginalized communities, it's systemic. Some of the issues that they're experiencing, um, Mm -hmm. the fact that they don't have food to eat or they're living out in uh, varying weather conditions from it being 20 degrees to it being over a hundred degrees. And we're seeing a lot of also in the underserved community, mental health issues. And so you guys are really, and so what, when you do work with that community and you do find that somebody, their headache is not just a headache, but it's because they haven't eaten and they haven't had any water. They don't have access to that, those things. What are some of the the things that you do to kind of serve that person in a more um, holistic way or what, what, what what have you, what do you, what have you done in the past? Maybe that's a better question. Well, what we do now and what we've always done in the past is we have relationship with other community partners within the community. That's why it's so important. That's why it's a community health center, and that's why that word is so important for us. Is because we work with other partners in the community in order to provide that holistic approach when patients come into the centers. So, for example, in um, in Hinesville, you know, you have the Manor House, you have the United Way food drops and different things like that that provide food services. So if we know a patient doesn't, um, doesn't have food to eat as an immediate fix, we refer them and we contact those different agencies to provide food. But most of all, we um, at Diversity and most FQHCs, we're able to do um, certain things and our staff is certified to do certain things in-house such as apply for um, SNAP online to assist the patients to apply for SNAP online so they have a long-term resolution to the food issue opposed to that one time of just referring them over to food services and they get food to last a little while. We sit down, we talk to the patient, we find out what they need and if they need to apply for food stamps assistance or Medicaid, Medicare, or they need to Uh, for cash assistance, then we have staff that's certified um, to do those services in-house 
So before that patient even leaves the center, we've already helped them go online to fill out that application. So they'll have a long-term resolution to the issue opposed to this one-time fix. And so our goal at a community health center is to work within, within the community with those services and also to provide like a one-stop shop, if you will, to assist the patient when they come in. Because at diversity, we don't just do healthcare, we also do behavioral health services. We have in-house dental services. We do vision services. We do pharmacy. We have a pharmacy at two of our locations. And the pharmacy works just like a CVS or a Walgreens pharmacy, but it's only to provide services to our patients that come into our clinic because we do get the reduced um, pricing for our patients for their medication. So they're able to leave with their medication if they're uh, put on a prescription. So a community health center works with all of those community resources to do that. And that's what that holistic um, approach is all about, is working with community partners in order to provide that all around care to that patient, whether it's social, whether it's spiritual, whether it's physical, whether it's mental, we're able to tie into all of those services to meet that patient where they're at when they come into the center. Wow. I know I keep saying that's incredible, but I, I did not, I, I was not aware of all that you guys did. I knew a little bit about diversity. My mom, mm -hmm. of course, has always said really good things, but I feel like this is extremely informative, especially for our listeners, because frankly, not a lot of people know about these centers. Um, yes. And they're not broadcasted. You know, you don't see um, the media talking about these centers, like you see them talking about hospitals or private practices, but exactly. we know, right. Mm -hmm. But, and, and we know that in, in smaller communities, these centers are so integral because it's not like we have several private practices in Hinesville. It's not exactly. like we have several hospitals you can go to in Hinesville. Mm -hmm. We don't have a trauma center in Hinesville. And so mm -hmm. these centers are, are just so in, important. And I am so glad that you were getting to talk about this because I think it, it ties really well into some of the things that we've also talked about um, on previous episodes of this podcast with other speakers. And one of the topics that has come up is Vine City here in Atlanta. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it. Um, mm -hmm but it is an area in Atlanta that is a majority African-American and black community. Mm -hmm. um, but it is also a community that has experienced extreme blight. It is uh -huh. experiencing extreme poverty. It is a food desert and it is right across from the, I like to say abomination of the Mercedes Benz stadium here in mm -hmm. Atlanta. Um, and the Mercedes-Benz Stadium, when it was built, what it did was take away a whole section of government-assisted government housing. Mm -hmm. And then it took away two historically African-American churches that were kind of bastions for that community. Um, mm -hmm. And in Vine City, they're, they're not close to a healthcare center that they could easily get to. Um, mm -hmm. And while, you know, we do have things like MARTA and things like that here in Atlanta, um, 
a lot of times it's still it's still cost to ride the marta mm-hmm. and a lot of people who are living in vine city they can't afford to pay to get on the marta to get to a hospital they can't afford to pay to get to a you know a a private practice and they can't they don't have insurance so they also can't afford to go to a private practice um and so it's almost like i wish that we saw more of these centers and i was wondering do you feel like um that we're going to see more of these community centers popping up in urban areas too um or have you seen more of these coming up in different areas around the United States? Well, I definitely have seen more of these centers come online within the last um, five years, uh, more of these centers. And I always tell people we're the best kept secret, you know, uh, right. because, you know, people say there's no access to health care. There's no access to health care. But, you know, th- there is some access to health care. We still have a long ways to go by no means am I saying the problem is resolved with the federally qualified health center. But what I can say is that with a federally qualified health center in the way they are structured, they first of all hold people accountable, the centers accountable for the funding that they are receiving. And they have a very, very organized and robust structure that has been in place that has been reinvented over the years that it really holds you accountable for the way that you're utilizing the funding, the staff that you're hiring to manage and to work in the federally qualified health center. I mean, we're held to much, much higher standards than even in a private practice because of the the, uh, malpractice that we're covered under, which is the federal tort. Um, So you're held to a higher standard. So I think though, and ultimately my long-term goal in life has always been is to help other communities bring FQHCs to their communities and to help them structure, build, you know, um, develop federally qualified health centers. Because I'm originally from Mississippi, and I know most people who know me know this story because I am so passionate about federally qualified health center and the goal of making sure that every single community throughout the United States has a federally qualified health center within five miles of where um, they live. Um, Mm. So that is my my passion, my mission. And I'm from Mississippi, Columbus, Mississippi, and we don't have a federally qualified health center in my own community there. And so one of the things that I've been trying to do remotely is to, to make that happen because knowing the work that I do in Hinesville and knowing the impact that it has on the community, that a federally qualified health center can have on a community, then it has been my um, mission to make sure that happens within my own community where I was born and raised. And I think it's important to happen in in all communities because everyone should have access to healthcare. It's a right. It is not a privilege, it is a right to have access to healthcare, you know, for people. And so, um, so for areas like the Vine, in Atlanta, I think it's important to connect because I know it's about at least six different federally qualified health centers in the Atlanta area. Mm-hmm. And all of those health centers have additional sites and locations off of them. So I know it's a plethora of um, federally qualified health center in the Atlanta area, but if it's not one in that particular area, 
I think as a community um, a leader, someone should connect with one of the FQHCs that exists that's close to that one in order to make sure that they get a federally qualified health center over in that area to take care of the people that live in that community because that is our mission. That Absolutely. is what we're here for. And that's how we ended up in Wayne County. When I got here, the Wayne County community came to me and said, hey, Stephanie, we really need health care in our community. How do we make it happen? And I've worked with that community and we ended up getting a, a, a federally qualified health center in that community within about two years. But it comes from total community support. And they provided that to us. And we were able to get the center up there. They donated the building to us up there that we're in. And then they gave us some funding to help with the initial startup and stuff. So it's a community-driven effort, but it, it comes from getting the community involved, identifying areas of need like you've just done on the show today. And if there's not somebody already over there, I would look around and say, where's the closest federally qualified health center? And reaching out to them and talking to the executive director of that community health center and say, hey, we need something over in this area mm. because the people in this community need something. And I tell you nine times out of 10, they'll work with you to get something in your community because they want to provide those services in that community to make sure people are getting assistance. Yes, and you might just be our link to getting something closer to that community. There is one in uh, the area of Joseph E. Boone, um, but a lot of people in Vine City, that's not going to be super walkable for yeah. them. Yeah, if it's um, not walkable, I would definitely, you know, look to see who's within, who's the closest federally qualified health center to Vine City, and then reach out to that executive director and set up some type of meeting and talk about the need and why people can't make it. And, and I'm, I'm fairly confident that person, if it's not them, then it'll, it might be another FQHC mm. that surround that center that's willing to take on that task. But nine times out of 10, they're pretty open to the idea, especially if they know the need is there. And then they work with the federal government to try to get funding around to support the population over in that area in that community and and hopefully it's a ceo that's truly engaged and they make it happen in a fairly quick amount of time you would be amazed um at how fast that um sometimes you know these federally qualified health centers can really get up and running if you have the support of the community and some of the local leaders in that community to put up some of the financial support in order to get it up and get it running Absolutely. I, I definitely, you've given me an idea and I'm probably going to take that idea and run with it. So thank you so much because I, I do know and have some contacts with some of the FQHCs here in Atlanta because of um, because I interned with the Public Policy Center. And so Dr. Smith, who's the lead there, she has a bunch of contacts with a bunch of different nonprofits. And so mm -hmm. thank you so much for that advice. So my last question, because I did promise to keep this short and sweet. Um, what have you been doing during this season? You talked about self-care, um, not just for the people around you who are experiencing grief, but, um, but also for yourself. So what have you been doing for yourself during this season to take care of your mental health, your spiritual health, and 
your physical health and what does that look like from the, from the smallest thing? Because I know that during the day, a lot of us don't have time to sit and meditate for 15 minutes. You know, we just, that's, mm-hmm. that's just not in the books, especially when you're working in nonprofit, you're always going. So what, what does self-care look like for you? Well, self-care for me has looked like, first of all, I, I got a therapist. That was the first thing I did. I made the conscious decision to get a therapist to help because I can't be help of help to others if I can't be of help to myself. And I realized that, you know, I was suffering from PTSD myself. And I don't like to use that word loosely because I'm prior military myself, but I knew what it looked like. And I knew a lot of us as leaders in FQHCs were suffering from the same thing because I said, you know, if I'm feeling this way, I wonder if anybody else is feeling this way where you just, you just feel like you're overwhelmed. You feel like, you know, can I still do this? And when I reached out to some of my other CEOs that ran FQHCs and I talked to them and it was almost like they were relieved for me to say it out loud because they felt like they had permission to talk about it. And so one of the things that I did, and it not only helped me, but it helped my, my, um, my fellow colleagues that are running FQHCs. I went to the state organization and I talked to them about um, facilitating a uh, mental health training specifically for leaders in federally qualified health center to bring in a professional so we could talk to one another as a group. It was almost like group therapy. And we did some um, role play um, where we acted like we were, you know, some some of the employees, where we acted like we were some of the patients in order for people to feel comfortable, you know, with some of the situations that were going on within their facility. And we had a mental health facilitator there and it was all the CEOs of the FQHCs throughout the state of Georgia. And it was so amazing to just have that time with people that were in the same roles that you were in to be able to talk about what we had gone through since COVID had started. And when I said it was not only a mental, but it was a spiritual and physical rebirthing, I guess is the best word word that I can say use for it for all of us, because people shared stories about as leaders, they had been diagnosed with cancer during COVID, but they felt like they didn't even have the time to deal with their own cancer diagnosis because they came to work every single day, even after going to chemo, to come to work to be there for their patients. So it was just amazing that you had people next to you. You didn't even know they had cancer and they were going through everything that they were going through because they felt like they could show no sign of weakness because they had to be there for their employees and their staff. So for me, I got a, a um, therapist and I, and I started doing therapy. I've continued with the therapy because I feel like everybody as a leader needs somebody else to talk to in order to, 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 to release all of the stuff that you're taking in every day from the people that are around you, not only your staff, but your family, your kids and um, your friends and everybody who looked at you as a strong leader, you need somebody to give that to. And I do take that time out every day to breathe, even Mm -hmm. if it's just five minutes, because as leaders and as caregivers, 
you have to take the time because if you don't take the time, the time will be taken from you one way or another, whether it's you physically break down or you mentally break down. So I tell my staff to take that time, take your breaks, take your lunch, step away. So I've learned to do that myself because I wasn't taking lunch breaks. I was working straight through my lunch. I would work to seven and eight o'clock at night. And now, you know, I've force myself to take at least five minutes to just breathe. And it's amazing what just taking those deep breaths in and those deep breaths out at least five minutes out of the day and to give your permit yourself permission to step away and, and go out to eat lunch and not sit behind that desk all day, just going, going, going. And I think therapy is just the key for anybody that's in the healthcare field now. I, I, I mean, I sing it from the top of the roof. I encourage all of my staff to, to get therapy and it's okay to talk about it. That's another thing as a leader, making myself vulnerable. And I told my, all of my staff that I was in therapy in a, in, a, in a hopes to encourage them to go get therapy because as leaders, people don't think you have problems. They don't think that you have stress. They think that you got it all together all the time. So what I've learned as a leader is to be vulnerable to my staff as a leader, to let them know that I'm getting help and that I'm going to therapy and that I have issues, that I struggle, I cry. And so, and I say that at my staff meetings and, and people thank me afterwards to say, oh my gosh, if you're getting help, then I, it's okay for me to get help. So I think that's mm -hmm. one of the things that we have to learn how to do is to just talk about it. Mm -hmm. Because so many people are afraid to talk about their mental health. They think that it's something wrong with you. No, it's not something wrong with you. We all have mental health issues. And some people get that help through their spiritual leaders and different things like that. But everybody doesn't go to church. Everybody right. doesn't have a spiritual leader. So it has to be another way beyond um, your spiritual leaders. And think about it. Your spiritual leaders also need help because yes. they're absorbing all of that energy. And that's another group of people that people forget about is their spiritual leaders need to seek mental health and counseling from um, professional counselors. Because at the end of the day, we're all human. And we're no better than the teaching that we've learned, the education that we've received, and our own um, experiences. Because most people give advice based on their own experiences in life. And some people haven't experienced hunger. Some people haven't experienced homelessness. So it's hard for them to give you the support that you need if they've never experienced it. Right, right. And I feel like nonprofits can be have the ability to be the voice um, for those experiences, exactly. especially now. They're, they are the, um, they are the thing that connects um, communities of people. And I, I really like what you what you said about mental health. I think, and I know right now, we're seeing just an uptick in things mm -hmm. like depression and anxiety. Um, suicide rates have exactly. gone up, um, especially for healthcare providers and religious leaders. Yes, because it's, they absorb all the energy. 
You're right. absorbing all of the energy, but you're not releasing the energy yourself. And so mm-hmm. you don't realize how much that impacts you because I didn't realize it until I started saying some of the stuff out loud. And I didn't realize how, how I was working from this space of intensity. And, you know, even though I wasn't sleeping well, even though, you know, I was doing other things, I felt like, okay, I got to be this way because I got to be strong for everybody else. I have to be strong for everybody else. But I didn't realize the level of stress that I was carrying from listening to my employees come to the office crying about, you know, a family member that had died and then, you know, feeling helpless to be able to, you know, give them more than what they really needed, but while at the same time trying to maintain the business, because at the end of the day, it's still a business that you're trying to run and you still have to pay bills and you still have to be, be a good steward of the funding that you're receiving. So, you know, you can listen, but at the same time, it's only so much you can do as a leader. Mm -hmm. And so having to balance between, you know, the empathy of what's going on in that situation of the business piece of running an organization, you know, it's overwhelming as a leader when we were going through this of trying to navigate through what's real and what's not real, how much to engage, how much to not engage. And you don't realize how much of that you carried until at one point I had to, you know, when things kind of slow down a little bit, slow down a little bit and you were able to breathe and you realize like, oh my gosh, like, what do I do with myself now? And, and you just felt overwhelmed from everything that had culminated over the year and a half of just being in this go, go, go survival mode of, um, um, of, of trying to keep things going in, in, in the FQHC. Wow. Yeah. I hope that this season provides you an opportunity for rest. I know that most likely you're probably going to be just as busy as you've been. Um, and that the holiday season can be really hard for healthcare providers. So I, again, just want to thank you for spending this time with us today and lending your voice because I, I don't think a lot of people right now, because we're, we're all so busy, but we don't take time to really think about the different resources that are available to marginalized communities and how we can um, use mediums like podcasting and Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and TikTok and all those things to kind of uh, get these names of these centers out so that people who need them can have access to them. Because while there may be an FQHC in Atlanta, there might be six of them, but if, if, people in those communities don't know about them. Exactly, yes. Then they they don't have access to them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's, it's the it, same thing as not having access if you don't know that they're there and you don't. And, and some people know that they're there, but they don't know how they work. Just like you said, I didn't know you guys did all of that. And that's part of our, um, our challenges is trying to find a way to get this information out to the community in such a way that people really understand what an FQHC is, how it works. And and so every opportunity I get, I try to educate, but that's just like not having access. If people don't know 
where it's at and how to utilize that particular organization. So I agree 100%. Yes, thank you so much. And I do plan to post this on all the mediums and I'm gonna probably also post it on my personal Facebook page as well. Um, and it will also go on the Interfaith um, Public Policy Facebook page. So hopefully this offers an opportunity for people to learn more about what these are and to hopefully um, allow this information to kind of uh, expand out into the ether um, that is our current state of the world, which can kind of be a exactly. scary, yeah, kind of be and a scary every, place right now. And, and a good thing, a good note to make sure I, I get out to people, every state has a state organization that pretty much house the information for all the FQHCs within that state. Okay. So for Georgia, you have the Georgia Primary Care Association that's in Atlanta. So if you go to that website, gpca.org, or look up Georgia Association of Primary Care, they have an actual um, search engine on there where you could type in your zip code and it'll show you the closest FQHC to your zip code. So wow, if you okay. want, and, and that's pretty much in every state. If you go to like Mississippi, the Mississippi Association of Community Health Center, South Carolina Association of Community Health Center. So each state has a state ran organization that housed the information for all of those FQHCs. And usually you could type in your zip code to give you the closest FQHC. Then you can reach out and make an appointment with that FQHC. And then it also gives you information about all the FQHCs in your state. You can find out, you know, how to qualify and the guidelines for qualification are the same as far as is based on your income and your size of your household, as far as the sliding fee scale. And we see all patients. We don't just see the uninsured. And that's the unique thing about a federally qualified health center we see the insured and the uninsured. So you get a balance of the patients that come into the centers and the insured patients, we have to have those because they help offset the cost of the uninsured. We right. would never survive if we only saw the uninsured. So that's why it's important for us to make sure that we're meeting all those benchmarks when it comes to quality, when it comes to um, the providers and the staff that we have because we have to make sure we're attracting the in insured patients too. And so we have a lot of patients that come to diversity that have insurance, that have TRICARE, that have Medicare. So that is an important piece for people to understand is that once you get insurance, if you go to diversity, you don't have to change and go somewhere else. Or if you fall on insurance and fall off insurance, you don't have to change providers you still can stay right there where you're at. Like if you're at a private mm -hmm. doctor's office, you lose your insurance, they're no longer going to see you. Mm -hmm. And so right. at, at a federally qualified health center, whether you're insured or uninsured, we still see you. Wow. Well, thank you so much for your time. You are welcome. And I've enjoyed talking to you. So thank you yes. for inviting me. This has been wonderful, and I hope to all of our listeners that you've learned a lot because I'm sitting here and my brain has a bunch of knobs and everything spinning to think about, you know, what we can do to really get this information out into the world and out into our communities. So thank you for this. And 
Yes, ma'am. And our listeners, uh, we will be back again next week. I am not sure who we'll be interviewing yet. I have a couple names on the list, um, but it will be definitely a surprise and it will be Christmas week. So I hope that everybody takes time to care for themselves. Have a wonderful holiday, everybody.